The word of the Lord to the Apostle John in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. One of the privileges I have as a pastor here is to serve with several ministry teams from our church, involved in various areas of ministry within the church. One of those ministry teams that I meet with monthly, and just a real joy, a great group of people to get together with, is our community outreach team. People work hard to uh, figure out how to care for the needs of people in our community, the people outside the walls of this place. Uh, we do that by deciding where some of the money that you give on Communion Sunday, some of that money you give as you leave, is used to support efforts in the community. They also do that by coordinating and planning various efforts that we as a church will enter into to physically go out and meet those needs. One of the things that struck me recently as I was looking through the list of partner organizations that we work with to accomplish that, and we decided a long time ago the best way to do that work was to partner with those who are already doing it in our community and doing it well. So most of that work happens that way. And as, we look, as I look through that list of partner organizations, one of the things that struck me was that in some way every one of those organizations is, is pretty centrally involved in helping people to know what it is to have a home. To, to have a home that they really can call home or to take the home they have and make it more of a home. That that's really pretty central. Habitat for Humanity is one of those organizations, and you saw the slides. Uh, if you were to walk through that house with that family that, that many of you helped by your giving to sponsor the building of that house and by your time and efforts helped build that house, if you were to walk through that family, I wish all of you could have walked through with them. It wasn't that big, but I wish all of you could have walked through with them. To see those kids so proud of their rooms, to see those parents so thrilled to be able to provide this safe, uh, beautiful home for their kids to now live in. And as I understand, the home they were in was definitely not safe, was not a place of beauty. But now they could know that because of your efforts and your giving. Uh, it's something Habitat Humanity is trying to do with fam for families just constantly, all the time. Another organization, Crisis Pre Pregnancy Center in Hannah House providing a home for women who are pregnant and have no place to turn. They provide a caring, stable, safe home for those women while they go through their pregnancy and even for a while afterwards until they get established. New Song Mission. It's a children's home out in Brown County that we work with. Many of you have been out there helping them build the homes out there and doing work. You're regularly giving towards them and their needs. Uh, New Song Mission is a place where they have built these beautiful homes in this beautiful setting in Brown County to provide homes for kids who, for some reason, have to leave their homes, don't have home anymore. And they come here, and they want this to be a true home, a beautiful place, a family-like place, where they really do feel a part of the family. Uh, Lori and I, years ago, considered working as uh, house parents at a children's home in North Carolina. One of the things I loved about that place 
was they said that we don't care. We are always trying to get the kids that we are caring for adopted into families. And we don't care if they're 18 years old and a week from leaving. We still want them adopted into families. And the reason because you still need a home. That never goes away, right? No matter how old you are, home still matters. Uh, New Song Missions, a place that works to provide home for kids. Even our Garden Villa ministry, where we go out to Garden Villa Nursing Home, uh, that group of people goes out there every month, and they're familiar faces, and they know the names of the people there. A big group from our church goes out every month. They care for those people there, people who have been displaced from their homes, sometimes homes they've lived in for a lifetime. And they're now in this, this nursing home. And this group goes out there every month and in some ways tries to make this more home by their care, by singing familiar hymns, by just being there and remembering their names. Uh, we have the community garden out in the corner of our property. And all the produce that comes from that garden every year goes to Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. Uh, they provide fresh, healthy, organic produce. And matter of fact, I understand the last few years we've been the main provider of that for Mother Hubbard's Cupboard. Uh, hundreds of pounds of produce every year. And what is more home than being around the family table? The Mother Hubbard's Cupboard trying to help these families be able to provide a, a real meal, a healthy meal, the kind of meal they want to give their kids and for their families. Uh, with the deacons, we work together with the adoption and foster care ministry here at our church. People who are, we're trying to support those people who are bringing kids into their family and making their family truly home. Uh, all of those ministries, when you think about it, they're about the fact that we all need a home. Home matters to us. It's a vitally important thing. A few years ago as a church, when we were talking about our mission and our vision as a church, kind of reevaluating what we were about, uh, one of the themes that came up again and again in the various leadership groups that we're meeting was this idea that in some ways central to who we are as a church is being a home away from home for so many people. People around the world come here for a short period of time, pass through these doors for a short period of time, and real central to who we are and who we want to be is a place where when they come, their names are known, they feel cared for, they cared, feel ministered to, they feel that their presence matters in the way they serve with us. We want this to be a home away from home. That's vital to who we are. We say all those things. We invest so much in all those things because we truly believe that this longing for home is something that's a, a very human thing. It's a very core thing. To miss that is to miss how God designed us, and we don't want to miss that. Frederick Beekner, an author I enjoy, wrote this about home. He said, it's a place where you feel you belong and which in some sense belongs to you. A place where you feel that all is somehow ultimately well, even if things aren't going all that well at any given moment. He goes on then to write, I suspect that those who as children never had such a place in actuality had instead some kind of dream of such a home, which for them played an equally crucial part. And boy, I've found that true as I've met with people over the years and heard their stories. Sometimes when I hear stories of homes that were anything but what you dream of a home being, that even those people are raised in a place that instead of a place of safety was often a place of violence, or instead of a place of care was often a place of neglect. Even those people that that's the home they knew, the dream of home was still always there. It was still always alive. Matter of fact, in some ways it was even stronger because there's something about that that was such a violation of what they were made for that it, that it enlivened it, that it brought it to the surface because we're made for something more. Home. In some ways, I think home is, as Beekner said, it's a place where I belong. It's a place that I know if I go there, um, people want me there. 
people know me, care about me. I belong there. But it's also a place that belongs to me. It's a place I know. It's a familiar place. It's a place that's accessible, that I can turn to whenever I need to turn to it. That's what a home is. Now, now we may not all have, for instance, our childhood homes that we can run back and visit again. You know, mine, if I did, the people living there are probably not going to be real happy. So it's not our home anymore. But, you know, I get together with my sisters, and there's a sense where that, that experience and that memory of that place, of that home, is still alive when we come together. It's still with us. So now home may not be that place, but it's still alive. It's still something I return to often, and, and there's a sense of familiarity and commonality that when I come there. It's a place that's safe. It's a place, in some place, what it's meant to be is a place that's safe. A place, actually the word home at its very core is based on the word rest. It's what it means. It's foundation. It's, it means rest. It's a place where we rest. And that's what a home truly is meant to be. Now, all our homes weren't that, right? But that's what a home's meant to be. It's a place where in every possible way we rest because it's a trusted place, a safe place. To understand that longing in us, I think a good place to look is Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to turn there with me, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to look at a couple of pretty familiar passages today, uh, but hope maybe look at them a little more closely. The familiar sometimes gets passed over too easily. So Hebrews chapter 11. Now, many of you are familiar with Hebrews 11. It's the place where the writer of Hebrews is writing to this group of people that is facing a lot of persecution. This group of Christians are going through a pretty tough time. And because they're going through such a tough time, many of them are tempted to turn away from Christ, to turn away from following him. And the writer of Hebrews, in trying to encourage them to persevere, to keep on when it's tough, brings up many stories of people they were familiar with to say, here are people that also went through tough times. And they kept on. They continued to follow and lift up Christ to encourage them to keep doing the same. In the last of that list, he talks about Abraham and about his family. And then following that, he says these words in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, kind of telling what all these people had in common. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God was not ashamed to be called their God. These are the kind of people he wants all of us to emulate, to be like them. Well, what's it mean to be like them? What are we made for? Well, a couple of things he said was he said one thing about them that they all had in common. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers in this world. Now, think about being an alien and a stranger. Alien stranger means you live here. You actually are present here. You do live here. It's not we don't make any roots here. We do live here. But you live here always with a, a memory, with a dream of something else. You're present. You enter in. But you enter in never fully accepting this is it. This is all there is or all that could be. You always have that dream that's also part of your living here. A lot of times I think what we do is we live in this world, this world in some ways that is a disappointment, in some ways goes against our design and what we're made for. We live in this place where 
where there's sin in our own life, sin in the lives of other people we care about and love, we're affected by the sins of strangers, where we live in a world that's just in so many ways not what it's meant to be. And we taste the disappointment and the pain. We taste the ugliness of it from time to time. And because we're sometimes unwilling to be aliens and strangers, unwilling to accept that that's our true position, we get mad. We rage against it. We don't just try to change the things that are truly in our hands. We demand the things that are outside our hands change, right? We, we get mad. We get angry. We demand things change. We try to manipulate things sometimes to get them to be different because they have to be different. This cannot be a place of disappointment. It cannot be. This has to be everything I'm meant for. They chose to live as aliens and strangers. It doesn't mean that they didn't try to change things, but they also accepted that there are some things, many things, that will not change while they're here because this is not fully, completely home. But they didn't just do that in a sense of saying, I get it, I'm going to be present in this real place, face reality. One of the ways I think sometimes we fail to face reality is we, we fail to enter that which is temporary or incomplete. We say again, we don't want friendships that aren't everything they're meant to be, right? They got to be everything. They got to be what they're meant to be. We're not going to take partial justice. We want complete justice. We want everything complete. And I'm not entering in until it is. But again, aliens and strangers, we have to enter into the incomplete, into the not yet in some ways. It's what we're called to do. But then it's tempting to say, okay, I get it. This world isn't everything it's meant to be. It's going to be disappointing. It's going to be painful at times. I'm not going to like it. So I'm just going to put my head down and survive. That's how I'm going to make it through. I'm going to become cynical and hard, maybe. That's how I'll do it. Maybe I'll just kind of deny reality and become numb to it. Then I'll make it through. Because it's hard, so let's just survive it. But that's also not what these people were an example of. These were people who longed for a better country, who welcomed the things promised from a distance. It meant they lived right now in a way that was hopeful because of that sure promise that was ahead of them. They believed. They truly hoped. This wasn't a maybe it'll come true. We hope because we know it's coming true. And that hope changes the way I live right now. I'm present in this real world, but I'm present with hope. I live in this real world in a hopeful way. And God says, those were people I wasn't ashamed of. I know this is a well-worn quote, one most of you probably heard many times, but I just don't know anyone who says this better than C.S. Lewis in this, in this little passage. He says, if I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. You hear that? That the pleasures of this world, they're not meant to be enough. They are meant to arouse the longing for what will be enough. They are meant to to draw us towards it in some way, to suggest the real thing. He goes on and says, if that is so, I must take care. On the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. Be present here. Enjoy the good. Feel the disappointment. But on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life and press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. 
That's our calling. To live present. To live hopeful. To live in between joy and sorrow in some ways. To live in between kind of the taste and the fulfillment. To live in that place that's a hard place to live. I kind of want to do either or. I kind of want to demand it now or create the fantasy now. Or I want to just put my head down and survive. God calls us to live in a place that says I am present here. But present here always in a way that remembers I'm meant for more and more is coming. That's a tough way to live. We are not fools to long for home. We are fools to believe that this can be it. That this can completely satisfy. I thought about as a parent. One of the things I have longed for uh, over the years as a parent, as a father, as a husband was to provide the kind of home to my wife and to my kids that would be really home, that would be a safe place, a place where they felt loved, a place that they always want to come back to. As I look back at the years of raising my kids in my home, though, sometimes I'm surprised that my kids even will face me when they see me coming. You know, sometimes I'm surprised they don't turn and run the other way because I did love, I did sacrifice, I did pour in some ways myself out for them, but I also failed them. I also sinned against them. I also was sometimes selfish. I sometimes wasn't very present. Those were both true of my experience. If I have to be everything, if this is a story of the only way my kids get to know home is because I provide it, that's a pretty hopeless place. That's a scary place that I'm just going to be filled with regret because I didn't provide that. But if what I have to be is a, a good taste, the best possible taste I can be, If what I have to be is a sign that points them towards home, I can do that. I don't think I tried to do that then. I'm still trying to do that now for my adult kids and my grandkids. I still want to be someone who gives them a wonderful taste of home and points them towards home. And I know sometimes I do that because I'm not enough. And I know sometimes I do that because I gave them a wonderful taste. But again and again, I want to keep pointing them towards home. I want to live in such a way I do that. It is a hopeful thing. The remainder of the sermon, really all I want to do is just remind you of that home. I just want you to think with me for a few minutes about that home that we are promised, the true home, the satisfying home that we are heading towards. Revelation 21, turn there if you would. You just heard it read, but I encourage you to look there too. Revelation 21, John is writing to us of this vision he had, this vision of the future. He said this time where Christ will return and Christ will... the the. Heaven and the earth that we now know will pass away, will be pushed aside, will be gone. And he said now there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So our existence after Christ returns will be an earthly existence. So there'll be some continuity with what we know now. We're not sure what all that means, but it'll some ways be familiar. It'll be existence on earth, but incredibly different because this is a completely new earth. This is an earth that's different in every way from the earth that we now know. And he gives us a hint. doesn't give us all the details, but gives us a hint to what that new existence will be like. He says there'll be no sea. There'll be no sea in this, on this new earth. Now, that could mean there's no water, no ocean. Probably does mean. But I think it means more than that. In John's time, the sea was a place that was a very threatening place, in some ways a scary place. You read writings of that time, it is very often used as a symbol of chaos and of evil. And I think that's how John's using it here. John is talking about the fact there will no longer be any sea. This world will be different and new because evil will be gone. Chaos will be gone. This will be an existence without sin. 
something that's hard for us to even begin to imagine. Then look at Revelation 21, verse 2. He says, why will it be a place without sin? Why will it be a place without evil? How will it be so new? It'll be so new because God now will dwell with us. Heaven and earth will now come together, be joined together completely and forever. This will now be our existence. He says in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Never again will heaven and earth be separated. God will dwell with his people forever and ever. That will be our experience. And everything is new when that's true. This will be a time when young men won't ever struggle with cancer again. This will be a time when there won't be kidney failure. This is a time when children won't get sick. This is a time when all those results of sin and evil will simply not creep into our existence. We won't know it anymore. This is a time when there will not be regrets. We won't look back and have to deal with regrets. Regrets will be wiped away and be gone. One of the things I look forward to for this time is this is to be a time when we don't have to constantly battle with temptation of sin. We're doing the right thing will be the most normal thing. What a beautiful thing that would be. This will be a time that never will be invaded by the ugliness of death. This is a time when poverty will never, ever be our reality again, when people will always have what they need and will always care for one another. This is a time when we will no longer know what it is to be rejected, to be pushed aside or be an outsider. This is a time when we will know love in a way that we just get little taste of right now. That's the kind of existence the scripture tells us is coming. Something that's hard for us to really imagine. This will be a time of beauty that we get a glimpse of today in the most beautiful of places. That's our regular existence. That's what's coming and that we hope for. A little later in the chapter, John talks about this holy city. This holy city that will come down. God's dwelling place will be joined with the earth. And he talks about this city being a place that he describes the city as being about 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles long and 1,400 miles high. Perfect cube. Just like the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple. Perfect cube. Equal dimensions every way. That symbol of God's dwelling place now will be God's dwelling place on earth. But now it dominates the earth. Now it's at the center of everything. He describes it as a city that has impenetrable walls. Walls that are 200 feet thick. This is going to be a safe place. A place we never have to feel unsafe again. He talks about it being a place of incredible beauty. He says every kind of jewel will decorate this place. Even walls will be made out of these jewels. He talks about buildings and about streets being made of a gold, but a gold that's transparent. That's even beyond what we know. He talks about this being a place where there will be these giant pearls that are the gate. A single pearl is the gate's. Uh, fills the gates into the city. But he also tells us this is a place where the gates will never be closed. This is a place where we are always welcome and we always have access. He also tells us this is a place that will never again know darkness because it will be illuminated by the glory of God forever. This is a place where his presence and his glory will fill every single corner. That's our existence that he talks about in the future. Do me a favor. So in just a second, I'm going to tell you, breathe in real deep and then breathe out slowly. Okay, let's do it. Breathe in. 
You know that second of rest you feel at the end of your breath out? That little moment of rest? I think what Scripture is describing is that moment is a taste of existence that you'll have when you're home. That moment, what right now is just a moment that we get every so often. That's the rest you'll know. John in 21.6 says that this will be a place where thirst will finally be satisfied, completely satisfied. That's the existence we'll know. Um, so what do we do about this? So how do we live now in a way that um, kind of grows out of this truth that's hopeful? Well, I think to live hopefully now means in some ways we try and bring a taste of home here. As Lewis said, we aroused the hunger for home. So in your own homes, you try and create that kind of home, that home that's safe, where people are known and they belong, a place that belongs to them where they matter, a place where people, there's a familiarity. We really truly do know each other. We want each other there. We care for each other. The best you can create that home uh, for yourself. Maybe it's for you and your roommates. Create that home. Secondly, try and help others have that home. Join with us as a church while we try and minister to the needs of the others. Give them a taste of the homes that they long for. Join us in doing that work. Do that work with your neighbors. Help them to find a taste of home. Also, you do that, though, I think, by not turning your homes into fortresses. Sometimes we say, yes, I want to have that kind of home that, that everybody longs for. I'm going to try and create that for my family and for myself. And the way I'm going to do that is keep everybody else out. That's not what we're called to. We're called to be present in this place, even our homes present in this place, but hopeful. Give a taste of home. So practice hospitality, as Scripture tells us to do. Invite people into your homes. Give them a taste of home with you. Let them know that. Uh, that's kind of a, a dying art today, inviting people into our homes. Uh, it's one that I think in the church needs revived. We need to do much, much more of it, especially as a church where many people are passing through. Those of us who are here more permanently, boy, we want, ought to be inviting people. I love the way this church over the years has, for instance, had C groups, the various college groups in their homes where families have opened their homes to do that. I love that. I love the way many of you have small groups in your homes where just on a Sunday you're inviting people over to be a part of your home. Practice hospitality. Give people a wonderful taste of home and arouse that longing in them. Also, join with us as a church, making this place a home away from home, which means instead of congregating and being safe, look outside your safe place. Look for people who are on the outside and invite them in. Get to know people, know their names, talk to them. Uh, make people truly feel this is home. I don't care if you're here for a year or four years or 30 years. We want this to be home while you're here. Let's work hard to make this that kind of place. And that's hard work, isn't it? Especially in a transient place, it's easy to kind of cocoon, to kind of create a little safe spot because people are coming and going, so let's do that. But no place does it matter more than here to be a hospitable church, to be a people who move beyond those walls and make this home for people. And no matter how hard you try to do that, no matter how hard we work to give to arouse that hunger for home, also remember, as the Apostle Peter taught us, to be hopeful people, to be people who are present, arousing the hunger, and always remembering home is something more, real home that we're meant for. And so Peter says... Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know why they'll ask? Because you're present in this real world in a way that keeps your head up and is hopeful. Always looks for what's coming.
live that way in this world. As I was thinking about this sermon, I was trying to think of some of those tastes of home that I've had. One of them that came to mind for me, I remember a time years ago when a little bit of a tumultuous time with my relationship with my son. And I walked in my office in church one day, and on my desk was this post-it note. And the post-it note just simply said, I love you, Dad. Uh, if you walk in my office today, that post-it note is still on the bulletin board beside my desk. I can look up at that post-it note any time, and there's something in me that warms. There's something in me that feels a little taste of what I'm meant for, that kind of connection, that kind of love, that kind of family. Uh, that, that pulls me back to that moment. When I think of heaven, I think of a time when that moment is existence. That's a taste of what life will always be like. We sometimes think of things being kind of consistent as being boring. You know, it's routine, it's boring. And again, I don't, I don't think this new heaven and this new earth is going to be a boring place. I think there's going to be some continuity. There'll be things we do. I don't, I don't know what it all involves. But the one thing I do know is truly feeling that connection and that love. This is a place where I belong and others belong with me. That will not get boring. That is not something that's going to get old for us. A place where I never have to worry about rejection and love will always be before me. That's not a boring image. That's what we wait for. That's what we long for. That's what we want to invite others to join us in. I'm not very good at waiting. I've never been. I was a kid growing up that would sneak down, you know, Christmas Eve, open presents and rewrap them because I just couldn't wait till the morning. I think we ought to be people who have a hard time waiting. We wait with anticipation, but we wait. We live here. We're present here, even in the hard stuff, but in a way that always hopes and knows more is coming. Let's pray. And Father, I'm thankful that that isn't just a pipe dream, that what we hope for and what we long for, what everything in us tells us we're made for, Father, we have the promise that that one day will be true. Father, we know it will be more than anything we imagine, but we thank you for the pictures you've given us to stir our imagination. We pray that you'll help us to imagine often, to dream often, but, Father, also to live here well, to stay present, to enjoy the blessings of your kingdom now, and to long and wait with anticipation for your kingdom to come. In your blessed name, amen.